my name is H, um, short for Henrietta, um, and I've been coming to this church with my family for, actually I've slightly lost count, it's probably about seven years, um, and I'm on the staff team, I'm the pastoral minister for the evening services. Now this morning we are going to continue our series of questioning Jesus. Um, last week we were looking at this question posed by Thomas to Jesus. He says, you know, how can we know the way, how can we know where you're going, Jesus, And today we have got Philip's question. So I'm going to read the passage um, and then we'll start. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Father, we pray that as we look at this passage, you would speak to us, and you would reveal yourself afresh to us. Amen. So here we have this question from Philip. He's saying, will you show us the Father? And that will be enough for us. Verse eight, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. This question is not an impromptu question. It's not a frivolous question. It's a question coming out of a deep longing to see God. And yet this question reveals Philip's lack of understanding of who Jesus really is. My son, he recently turned nine uh, during lockdown. It's a pretty rubbish birthday, isn't it, for a nine-year-old lockdown. No party apart from on Zoom. And his one request to us for the day was to have a scavenger hunt for all of his presents. So instead of just ripping them open first thing in the day, um, we made all of these clues and we hid them all around the house. And he asked for the hunt to end with his main present, some very cool Star Wars Lego from us. So essentially, all of these clues in this scavenger hunt, they were all leading him to the main event, the main present that he had asked for. What Philip shows in this question 
is that he's seeing Jesus as a clue. Someone who has the ability to show him God, but who isn't in himself the main deal, the main present. He isn't in himself God. He knows, he's one of the first disciples, he knows there's something incredibly special about Jesus. But he's still limited in his understanding of what that really means. And Philip's, Jesus' response to Philip, it tries to disengage the error in Philip's question from the truth. And he answers him so gently with just the mildest of rebukes. Don't you know me, Philip? He uses his name. Even after I have been you such a long time, anyone who has seen, the, has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? In Jesus' very long response to Philip, he tells us three things that I want to look at. The first thing he says to Philip is, I meet your need to see God. He tells us Christ meets our need to see God. We've all had that moment, haven't we, where we long for a revelation of God, for him to come and show himself to us. It's not enough just to look at the creation and say, oh, well, I can, I can see there must be a creator through that. We need more. We hunger for more. And that's what Philip's question shows. And Philip, he knows the Old Testament. That's his Bible. And he knows that in the past, the Israelites, they've had revelations of God. Moses has taken them up the mountain to see the glory of God. So what he's saying to Jesus is, give us one of those appearances. Give us one of those revelations where through you, you can show us this, this symbolic revelation of God. In verse 9, where Jesus uses this word, see, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He's not using the Greek word to see as in the literal sense of seeing with your eyes. He's using the word see that really means to perceive or to understand or to realize. What he's actually saying to Philip is, if you really understand, if you really perceive who I am, then you will perceive, you will realize, you will understand, you will see that God lives in me, that the Father lives in me, and that I live in him. I.e., I am not just the final clue to God. I am God. I am the Son of God. He is my Father, he lives in me, and I live in him. He's saying to Philip, I am it. I am the revelation of God you are looking for. You don't need some symbolic Old Testament revelation anymore because I'm the real deal. He's saying to Philip, I'm already showing you the Father in who I am. So that's his sort of initial response to Philip. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus essentially, this is my second point, he says, while I'm at it, why don't I reveal to you the full Trinitarian God? Let me reveal to you this relationship that exists between me, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but um, if you, sometimes you've got a friend, um, when you then meet the rest of their family, 
you feel like you know your friend so much more. I had a friend at university, and he was one of five siblings. And I sort of felt like I knew him pretty well. And then I met his family. They were a phenomenal family, amazing, hilarious. And suddenly, as I got to know the whole family, I felt like I knew him so much better. And Jesus is saying, it's not just me. It's not just the Father. It's the the relationship, the Trinitarian God that I want to reveal to you. Now, bear with me. I'm not going to go down some theological rabbit, Warren. But the Trinity is this relationship that I think we often don't spend much time on. We think of it as, well, there's God who created the world, and he's kind of the God of the Old Testament who generally seems a bit frightening. And then we finally, thankfully, get to the New Testament, and we're introduced to Jesus, who seems to come out of nowhere, but here is the Son of God, and he's an easier character to to understand. But then he has to go. So then suddenly the Holy Spirit pitches up to come and be with us. And he's a bit of a mystery, and, and there's a lot of debate about who he is and what he does. But that's to completely misunderstand the Trinity. This God, three persons in one, has been in existence altogether since the beginning of time, since before this world was created. And they have been in this perfect, loving relationship. God is love. They've been in this perfect, loving relationship. And it's out of that relationship that everything else has been born. C.S. Lewis, he describes the Trinity, this beautiful relationship, almost like a dance. Because he says, when you look at this relationship, each one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist for the sake of the other. They spend all of their time loving the other, serving the other, glorifying the other, which we see in John 17. He says, each one member of the Trinity orbits around the other. And it almost forms this beautiful dance because they are all moving around the other, all existing for the sake of the other. And this is sort of an image of this perfect, loving relationship that is God. And C.S. Lewis says, well, what does this matter? It matters hugely because if this is what was there before the world even began, then this is what the world is all about, what life is all about. It's about perfect, loving relationship. And it's this beautiful image of this dance. Um, Tim Keller, he takes us a bit further to help us understand this. He says, okay, well, what's the opposite of this dance? It's somebody who stands completely stationary because they are hoping that everybody else will orbit around them, will center themselves around them. That's the epitome of selfishness, that you stand still and hope that everybody will center their lives around you. Which gives you a bit of an image of how beautiful this relationship is between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, because in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'll show you God because he's in me. He says, let me show you the full thing that's going on. Let me show you this full relationship because this is what, through the cross, I am inviting you to be a part of. When you think about how perfect this relationship is, it's almost offensive, isn't it, to think 
that what Jesus is actually saying to the disciples is, and you, you imperfect bunch of people, you are asking questions that still show you don't really know who I am. I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to invite you into this relationship. That's the mind-blowing truth of the gospel. And it's so important because ultimately this is what we were created for, to be invited into this divine dance, to come and be loved by God and in return to love him. Verses 20 to 21. Jesus, he says to the disciples, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father, i.e. Jesus is in the Father, and you, the disciples, us, are in me. That's Jesus. And I, Jesus, am in you. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them. I don't know if you can think in your mind, what is the most loving thing that someone has ever done for you? Something that has moved you to tears, where there has been a sacrificial love given to you, where someone has so selflessly gone out of their way to love you and it's taken your breath away because it was, it was so undeserved, it was so selfless. That is the tiniest, tiniest glimpse of what is happening in this relationship and what we're being invited to. Jesus is saying, come and let me love you. This is the safest place you can be. I've got your back. You don't need to, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to be in your own corner. You don't need to expect people to orbit around you. Come into this relationship. Let me orbit around you. Let me love you. And then you, in return, love me. That is the, the, most, um, the shortest description of what it is, and it is so hard to put words to something that's so mysterious and so beautiful. But that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples, that we have this invitation, that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus dies, will come and live in us, that we will have this helper that enables us still to see Jesus and to know the Father. It's this incredible invitation into a divine dance. So how do we get into this dance? Well, Jesus tells the disciples to do two things in this passage. He says to believe and to obey. In verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Whereas the world says seeing is believing, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, is actually believing is seeing. When you believe in me, you will know me, you will encounter me, you will begin to experience me. And then he so graciously says, and to those of you that that just feels too much, you can't just believe. He says, okay, well then look at my miracles, look at my works. And use them as a ladder to come to faith in me. But he says, the way that you come to know me, the way that you come to see me, to know the Father, to have the Spirit living in you, is to believe, to have faith. And then he says to them to obey him. 
as we enter this so-called dance, as we choose to center ourselves on Jesus, the way that we love him is to obey him. Verses 15 and 21. They say, if you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. I.e., if we choose to believe in Jesus, if we say, do you know what? This sounds the most incredible relationship to be a part of. I want in. Then he says to us, well, the way that you orbit around me, the way that you center yourself around me, the way that you love me is to obey my commands. Last week, as I was preparing for this talk, um, I had an incident with a friend. It wasn't a big deal, but I was left feeling really hurt by it. And this friend had absolutely no idea that they had hurt me, and I know would have been mortified if they had found out. And so I knew it wasn't really a big deal. But you know when you're hurt, there's that temptation, isn't there, to nurse the wound and to sort of hold on to that lack of forgiveness, because basically that's the only power you have got. And then I was reading about this, this beautiful relationship, and I was thinking, gosh, if I hold on to this unforgiveness, then essentially what I'm saying to myself is I have to step out of this dance, I have to step out of this relationship because I cannot say that I love Jesus and yet, with the other hand, be disobeying him in not forgiving this friend of mine. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to step out of this dance. The more I see it, the more I'm experiencing it, the more blessed I am from it, the, the harder it is to leave it. And so I took myself down and, it, you know, keep going down that, that sort of stony road of, okay, I'll forgive the friend. And it keeps coming back, doesn't it? And you keep having to say, no, 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 I've forgiven. I've forgiven the friend. But that's the way we stay in the dance. That's the way we stay in this relationship with God the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. As we keep saying yes, I don't know about you, but this last year has become worse and worse for me. It started with a bit of lockdown. I've had home, children at home a lot, homeschooling. And at first, I sort of thought, we're, we're, we're thriving. Um, then we were surviving. <laughs> I'm not sure what we are anymore. But what's amazing about this invitation is it's not on hold. It's not delayed. And as you step into it, you get more and more of a glimpse of actually this is what life is all about. And the further you step into it, the more you realize that there is. It's a relationship that has no end, that never stops giving. It's a relationship that if you're suffering, you realize actually you're in the best company possible. Because in this relationship, you are with a father who lost his son. You're with a son who was excruciatingly separated from his father who died on the cross. And you're with the spirit who groans and feels every pain, every agony that this world is in. And you realize that they minister to you in your suffering. That if you're finding something hard, they get it. You're in good company. And it gives you purpose because you realize that as they love you, you are filled up with a love for others that you can't explain that doesn't come from you, but that overflows to others. So my challenge to you today is go back, read this passage, 
and think on that image that C.S. Lewis gives us of that beautiful relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And think on that invitation that he gives to the disciples and to us, that that is what we are invited into.